0: Hey, and welcome to this podcast by Chestnut Mountain Church, located in Flower Branch, Georgia, where our mission is to saturate the world with the good news by making disciples of Jesus Christ. We invite you to check out our website at chestnutmountain.org and follow us on social on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at chestnutmtn underscore to learn more about who we are. There are also video episodes located on our YouTube channel, along with other content not on this podcast. This episode features a sermon replay from yesterday's message from our We Are series. Let's take a listen.
1: We're going to dig into the Word of God and understand what He tells us about being humble, what this means for our lives and how this is gonna change our lives if we live this way. The first uh, part of scripture that I wanna turn your attention to is 1 Peter 5, verse six. This is a very important framework for us today. It's a great verse on humility. Peter writes and he says, humble yourselves. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. Humble yourselves. This is an active command to humble yourself. So I can do that. I can humble myself. Now, it's unnatural, and we're gonna talk a little bit more about that. It's difficult to do, but I can humble myself. So that's a posture that I can choose. And he goes on and gives us the position that we are to choose under the mighty hand. Of God, So don't just humble yourself for the sake of humbling yourself. No, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, because those who humble themselves, God will exalt. Because when we're humbled under his mighty hand, he provides everything that we need. And we're going to talk about what this looks like. But I don't want you to miss those two key points from that verse that we're going to unpack the rest of the way today. Posture and position. It's important. The posture that we take and the position that we choose. Posture yourself in humility and position yourself under the mighty hand. To be emptied. And then filled. You see, humility really is about emptying yourself. Or something else emptying you but before we can humble ourselves i think it begins with becoming aware of our neediness or our frailty like we need to understand that we can't really do it on our own and we can't take care of all the things before we will choose humility and that's difficult in our day i think it's harder in our day today because we have accumulated so much and we've made it possible for comfort to be accessible at any time at our fingertips. We've, been, we've made it possible for pleasure and for happiness and for anything really you could list to be possible at our fingertips. And what this does is it creates this false sense of security and control. And when we have more control, we have more security, we're less humble because we don't understand our need. We don't understand our bankruptcy. So we have to posture ourselves and position ourselves before God. That's what active humility looks like. It's about emptying yourself. And honestly, it's about emptying yourself of yourself. There's a quote that a lot of people like to use and I like it too, but, so I'm not trying to trash it, but I do wanna take it a step further. That quote is, humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. That's, that's good, that's nice. But I think deeper than that, it's actually more than just thinking of yourself less. It's biblically, what we're gonna teach today, what I believe God is leading us to as an actively humble people is to not just think of yourself less, but to crucify yourself, to die to yourself, So that sounds good and it's great. And if you have a shirt that says that, I'm not trashing it. But I do want to urge you and challenge you to go a step further. As a Christian, you're not just called to think of yourself less. You're called to die to yourself. And most of the time, what we need to be removed from ourself is actually ourself. And that's what the gospel does. That's what the grace of God does. It, it comes to eradicate the things that are in the way and in God's place. So to illustrate this today, we have a simple science experiment. Is anybody a scientist? Zero scientists in the room. We're killing it. Oh, we're pointing to one. We're pointing to two. I like it. He's pointing to himself. My man science, you know, water, when it's heated, evaporates, turns to vapor and leaves the container that it's in this process of heating the water and then it turning to vapor. As we go today, if this works, this will be empty by the time I'm done preaching. And don't worry, it's supposed to only take 30 minutes. Okay. And I've tested it five times. So it's a sure thing that I'll be done preaching in 30 minutes minimum. And so (laughs) this process of evaporation, this is important because I want you to see scientifically when water is heated to a boil, you know, that this is Purifying the water. And then when it turns to vapor and, and, and travels out of the container, it's sending purified water into the air. And so I think that this, if we really think about it in terms of this hot plate, this burner being the Holy Spirit in this case, and this jar being you, which I know some of you are like, I'm a lot bigger than that thing. You know, that's the problem. That's the point of today is that you think you're bigger than this thing. Okay, active humility. We'll get to that in a minute. This is you. The water is what needs to escape. And being positioned and postured right here on the fire of the Holy Spirit is the answer for this purification and for this emptying of yourself. This is the picture of the process of being actively Humble. That's what we're going to talk about today, and I want you to see it, and we're going to come back to that, and, and, I, and, and we're, going to, we're going to prove scientifically what God is teaching us today. It's a posture, and it's a position. So as we posture ourselves before him, we are to come low. That's what that word originally meant. The original Latin form of humble meant low, Or lowly, if you trace it back even further, it actually meant ground. So the lowest form. And remember, humans came from, man came from the dirt, right? So this is all a process of, we remember that in humility, it's talking about low, lowly, coming from the ground, taking this posture of the one who needs life given, (laughs) Humble means to be low. So we come low and then we come positioned to be emptied. We come before God low and to be emptied because we know that he's willing to fill us up. But there's certain things that have to take place, right? This is sanctification. This is consecration, this process of him removing the things, removing the things that are in the way for him to be all. That's active humility. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Water fills the lowest places, you know, gravity takes it down and it fills the lowest place first. And I think that's a good picture of the relationship that we have with God. The lower that we are, The faster and the fuller we will experience his power and his presence flooding into our lives. That's the posture of humility. The question is, are we willing to be low and are we willing to be emptied? Is this not too glamorous? It's not very exciting to talk about how low we can be. Or how empty we can be. Are we willing to do that? Here's the good news God uses the humble to accomplish His greatest work. God uses humble There, there is no too far gone for God to use the broken and the contrite heart oh Lord you will not despise he fills up the lowly he revives the broken in spirit and the contrite in heart he will fill up those that are humble he opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble James teaches us that's good news for us today in our humility, in our weakness, in our brokenness. God fills empty and lowly vessels. Humility is unnatural, right? Humility is not a natural thing. Pride is far more natural. Arrogance is far more natural to the flesh than humility. If If you need an illustration for that, just look at your kids or look at mine because we're immediately able to think self, to think me. I don't have to be trained to think about myself. I don't have, we don't have uh, small groups teaching pride. We don't have to teach pride. It's taught inherently. We teach humility because humility is unnatural. Humility is counter flesh. Humility is a gospel reality. The grace of God produces this in us. I love this quote from Andrew Murray. By the way, if you don't have this book by Andrew Murray, spelled like it sounds, called Humility, simple, you need to get it. Here's a quote from Andrew Murray. Humility will not come of itself. Humility will not come naturally. That's what he's saying. It's not going to come on its own without intention but it must be made the object of special desire, prayer, faith, and practice. There is nothing so insidious and hidden from our sight, nothing so difficult and dangerous as pride. I was, uh, we were in our living room yesterday slow Saturday morning, you know, with the kids and with Kaylin and we're hanging out and I was, my wheels were turning about today and I was thinking about ways to illustrate humility and talk about how pride leads to destruction and humility is the posture that we need to be in. Humility is the position that we need to be in before God. I'm thinking about this, thinking about how to illustrate it. And I was trying to remember a time where I got the instructions Wrong while I was driving and got us lost on the road. Like I was trying to remember a time where I couldn't. I messed up the directions and I was too prideful to ask for help. It's a simple way to illustrate the point, but I couldn't think of one. You know, and so I started to feel kind of good about that. You know, and so then I asked Kaylin out loud. I'm like, "Hey babe, do you remember a time where ever got us lost and, and was too prideful to ask for?" She's like, "Hmm, no, not really." I was like, "Well," and. So then my, my, my son, Mick, came over to me. He said, Dad, do you remember that time when you got us pulled over by the police officer because you were driving too fast? I said, yes, son, I do. He said, yeah, me too. And that was it. Just when you think you're doing pretty good, you know because pride is so natural. I'm trying to think of an illustration about humility and pride was sneaking in while I was thinking about humility. Like as I'm thinking about how humble I am, <laughs> pride comes into the equation. You see how natural that is. Have you heard the story of the Boy Scout that was on a plane with the computer genius and the pastor and the pilot? Anybody heard this story? No, good, it's gonna be awesome, Ho- hopefully. There's, there's four people on the plane, there's three parachutes. That's a problem, because the plane starts going down. Pilot comes back, says, do we have parachutes? They said, yes, we have three. He said, well, I've got kids and a wife and a family that needs me. I gotta go. He takes a parachute. He jumps. Then the computer genius comes over. He says, I've got all the knowledge that I need, that the, that the people need, that the world needs for us to move forward in the 21st, uh, 21st century. I'm the one that the world needs. I gotta have a parachute. So he takes it and he jumps. And then the pastor comes to the Boy Scout and says, Listen, son, it's time for you to live your life. You've got so much potential in you. I want to pray over you. I believe that God's going to use you. Would you allow me to pray over you before you jump with the parachute? I'll go down with the plane. And the Boy Scout said, Don't worry, sir. The genius computer guy just took my knapsack and jumped out of the plane. So we have two parachutes. Still left. We're good. Pride comes before the... All. Humility doesn't. <laughs> Can I move? Can I move? <laughs> humility doesn't come naturally, but pride does. And because humility doesn't come naturally, it has to be an active pursuit of ours, it has to be intentional. John the Baptist is one of the greatest examples of humility. In the Bible, I love studying about John the Baptist. You know, Jesus chose some strong words about John the Baptist in Matthew chapter 11, verse 11. He said, truly, I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Pretty high praise. It's a big thing for the son of God to say. And John the Baptist was set apart from before he was even born. His dad his name was Zechariah, was a priest, and in, in his priestly duties one day, when he was in the temple and he was performing his duties, he's burning the incense at the altar, an angel came to visit him. An angel of the Lord came and pronounced the birth of his son, John the Baptist. And he said some pretty big things about John the Baptist. He said, "He will be great in the sight of the Lord. He'll be great." in the sight of the Lord. He'll be filled with the Holy Spirit while still in the mother's womb. Some of you wish that's what happened for your kids. Anyway, (laughs) he'd be filled with the Holy Spirit while still in the mother's womb. And his purpose would be to make ready a people for the Lord. Let's think about this for a second. As a dad, there's dads in the room. When you pray for your kids, even before they were born, you pray for your kids and you pray for them to be great, for them to, to love the Lord, for them to go out and be great leaders and, and influences in the community or teachers or maybe great athletes. They, they'd be in Charlotte one day winning 10 to three in a slugfest or whatever you're praying for your kids. Maybe some of you can relate to, to Praying for your kids, and then when you see them grow up, maybe some of you can relate to being proud of what they do, being proud of what they accomplish. I can only imagine what Zechariah was thinking when the Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit sent an angel of the Lord to speak this to him, and he's sitting there listening to these promises from God, saying, "Wow, that's my boy. That's going to be my boy." And then if we look in in Luke chapter 1, verse 80, yes, there are 80 verses in Luke. That is not a typo. We see that the child grew up and was becoming strong in spirit, and he lived in the deserts until the day of his public appearance to Israel. So he wasn't on the football field making his dad proud. He was in the desert with nobody around and God was preparing his heart, was preparing his hands, was preparing his mind for his mission that was to come. And that's not everybody's story and I'm not saying send your kids to the desert, the wilderness. That's not the point of the thing. The point is God was producing this heart of humility. In somebody that he was gonna use greatly. And so we have this great pronouncement of this child that's gonna be born. He's gonna make a people ready for the Lord to come. And then he goes into the wilderness until he's about 30. And then one day he appears with animal fur on, not looking real good, because he's been, he hadn't had a shower or whatever, and he's just coming out. He's ready to go. He's been eating, just as a key detail that I find. Very hard to understand. He's been eating locusts and wild honey. Now, some of you have been around church, and that's not that's not like a wild thing to think about because you've just heard this. You've heard about the locusts and stuff. If you if you really paint the picture of what a locust is, it's like three to five-inch. Massive grasshopper that flies around eating all the good things, eating the fruit, eating the vegetation that's good, all the herbs and the minerals that we need. They just devour it. These big things, like if you're going to rub honey on something, it's not a locust. And this is what John the Baptist is eating. He comes out with the fur of an animal on in humility, being, he's been prepared and he's ready to go. Nothing great about this in the world's standards, but you're about to see how God is going to use him mightily. When he came out, he comes out to crowds because he comes out preaching Jesus and he comes out with this fire inside of him. Nothing special about the way he looks but he's got a fire inside of him and he's preaching about Jesus and he's, he's telling people to get ready for the coming Messiah and the people, it stirs attention all across the nation and people are coming and and the religious leaders of the day are coming to ask him questions and they're all gathering around him. And you gotta picture this, the crowds are pressing in on John the Baptist, the spotlight's on, the paparazzi's in the room and this is his opportunity to be humble or succumb to the attention and start to think, wow, maybe I am kind of a big deal. And then we see in Luke chapter three, Verse 16, this is how he responded in that moment with people coming around him and with attention. John responded to them all saying, as for me, I baptize you with water, but he is coming who is mightier than I. There is one who is coming who is mightier than I, and I am not even fit to untie the straps Of his sandals. This was a disgusting task. When the people would come in from the day. A long day. Their feet would be filthy. And only the lowliest of the low. The servants in the house would take off the shoes of their master. And clean their feet. This was a task that was reserved for the low. And John the Baptist said. I'm not even worthy to do the lowest task. For the one who is coming after me. Posture. He says, I will baptize with water. And then he goes on to say, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. He will baptize you in a much deeper way. He will baptize you in the Holy Spirit of God and with fire to purify, to sanctify, to make you presentable to the father. We get a glimpse of of his humility here, right? He says, there's one coming after me that's mightier than I. Actually, I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals. We see the humility of John. And then we come to John chapter three. I want you to turn there for a second. If if you don't have your Bible, it'll be on the screen. But John chapter three, starting in verse 26, this scene here is Jesus is on the scene with his disciples and they're baptizing over there. And John, the Baptist with his disciples are baptizing over here. And the Disciples of John have learned of the fact that Jesus and his disciples are baptizing. And so they come to John and they're like, what's happening here? And so this immediate human reaction of competition starts to flare up. And we see another test for John the Baptist and his humility. Look at, look at what his, his disciples said to him in verse 26. They said, rabbi, teacher, He who was with you beyond the Jordan to whom you have testified, behold, he is baptizing and all are coming to him. You hear that exaggeration as well in their voice. All of everybody's going to him and nobody's going to come to us. Everybody's gonna go to him. Look at what he's doing. He's here, he's doing his thing. His his way is better than ours. His baptism is better than ours. We, We might as well just quit. What are we doing over here while Jesus is over there baptizing? Is he just trying to take over all of our ministry? Are we gonna have any ministry after today? Is there even any point in us continuing the ministry? This is what you can hear in their tone. Everybody's going over there. Teacher, what are we gonna do? What are we gonna do? And I think this is relevant to us today because most of you have probably been in a situation or a season of your life where you've been eclipsed by someone else. Someone came along who was better at your job than you are. Or someone came along that had more tools in their tool belt you did or there was an athlete that was a little bit taller and a little bit faster and took your position or I don't know what your situation is but it, it makes me think about how relevant this is to us today what do we do when we're presented with this seemingly competitive scenario what do we do when we're being eclipsed by someone or something else there's a There's an old preacher named F.B. Meyer. When he was young, he he was a preacher in London. And when he was young, his church was not very far from Charles Spurgeon, who most of you probably have heard that name. Great preacher. And when F.B. Meyer was young, he would sit on his stoop before church started and he would just watch the carriages, just straight by. Everybody's going to Spurgeon's church. Everybody's going to... The Reverend Charles Spurgeon's church. F.B. Meyer had a great ministry. F.B. Meyer was a a great commentator and a great author. He wrote several works that were so practical that I still read and many still read today. But he was down the road from Charles Spurgeon's church. And that affected him. That affected him. But instead of choosing to be competitive, he chose to pray for Charles Spurgeon and his church. He chose to take the posture of humility. And later on in his life, towards the end of his journey as a preacher and a pastor, he was at a conference in Massachusetts with his friend D.L. Moody. He was another incredible evangelist and pastor, Christian leader. And he's at this conference And there's this other speaker there, G. Campbell Morgan, who was on on his way to prominence, if you will. He was in his prime and everybody wanted to hear him. Wouldn't you know it? And F.B. Meyer was drawing crowds of dwindling number while G. Campbell Morgan was drawing thousands in the same conference. So once again, this preacher, F.B. Meyer, was faced with this reality that he's being eclipsed story of my life. You can hear him, right? Story of my life. I never get, I never get an opportunity. Like I never get to preach to that many people. Nobody wants to come hear me like they want to come hear other people. And he goes home discouraged, but he sought the Lord. And the stories are told that the next day in that little town in Massachusetts, F.B. Meyer was walking around from person to person saying to them, have you heard G. Campbell Morgan preach? Wow, how the hand of the Lord is upon that man. Wow, how the Lord has anointed him to proclaim the good news. You should really hear him preach. I think it will be helpful to unlock some things in your mind about the ways of God and how Jesus can change your life. You see the posture of humility and in the position to to come home discouraged. Yes, it's real, we're being eclipsed, we're struggling with this reality, with our self-worth and whatever it may be, but we choose this position under the mighty hand of God. And what God did is he filled him up to be able to go out and instead of be competitive, He was supportive because he saw how the kingdom was advancing and he saw that they were in it for the same reasons. And he trusted that God's ways are higher than his ways. His thoughts are higher than his thoughts. That's what it looks like to be actively humble. And John the Baptist was in the similar situation. His disciples are saying, John, they got it going on over there and we're we're not really doing that well. And I really think that the stock price on our thing is about to plummet. Over here, should we even stay in business? Should we even still keep doing ministry? And this is what John said. He answered them in verse 27, John chapter three. A man, underline this if you have an actual Bible paper. If you don't, if you're on your phone, just click it and say highlight, that'd be good. A man can receive nothing unless it has been given him from heaven. A person can receive nothing unless it has been given from heaven. Oh, we have to remember that. This is his first response. First of all, guys, No one can receive anything unless it's been given to them from heaven. Anything that I have, any ministry that I have, any gift that I have, any ability that I have, it was first given to me from heaven. His ways are higher than than my ways. His thoughts are higher than my thoughts. He chooses to do as he pleases. And by the way, he keeps on going in verse 28, you yourselves are my witnesses that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent ahead of him. I'm not him. I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals. I'm here to make way for him. Verse 29, he who has the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because the bridegroom's voice. So this joy of mine has been made full. John uses this opportunity to illustrate with an experience that they would know very well. Back then, when they would have weddings, the friend of the bridegroom, the best man, would do a lot to prepare for the festivities, for the celebration. And one of his duties would be the night of the consummation. He would be standing guard at the door while the bride was in the room ready for her bridegroom to come in. The friend of the bridegroom would be standing guard at the door, literally, and would listen for the bridegroom's voice. And when the bridegroom would would call out, the friend of the bridegroom would open up the door with gladness, preparing the way. And having kept her safe, having kept her ready for her groom to come in, he would be full of joy. And that's what John said. He said, this is, this is my role. This is what I was born to do. And it brings me great joy. I'm full of joy as I choose this low roll because that's the way of the kingdom and then he says this beautiful beautiful verse in verse 30 he must increase but I must decrease he must increase but I must decrease this is my story John says he must increase and I must decrease I love this because it's not a transaction. Humility is not like a boom, yep, you're good. He must increase, I must decrease. We, we, we're in process of becoming humble. It's an increasing humility. And it happens as we decrease, as we choose this posture and this position, and then we elevate him. And he increases in our heart and in our life. That's this process of being actively humble. And it transforms everything. But it's an attitude of the heart. It starts in the heart. And this must be our daily posture. He must increase, but I must decrease. He must increase, but I must decrease. Every morning, every evening. He must increase, but I must decrease. I love the way, last quote from Andrew Murray. Remember I told you, get his book, Humility. Listen to this, listen to the way that he put it. This is so practical. Place yourself before God in utter helplessness position. Place yourself before God in utter helplessness. Sink deeply into the grave of Jesus. Only this death Death leads to perfect humility. Only this death, only Christ's death and you dying with him leads to perfect humility. Enter in his grave and the, into the rest from self and its work. Enter into this rest with Christ who committed his spirit into the father's hands. Humble yourself and descend each day into that perfect, helpless dependence upon God sink every morning into deep deep nothingness into the grave of Jesus every day the life of Jesus will be manifest in you every day as you sink deeply into this nothingness the life of Jesus will be manifest in you but the question is are you willing to be low Are you willing to be empty and be emptied? Are you willing to posture yourself humbly before an almighty God? And are you willing to position yourself on the fire of the Holy Spirit so that he can purify you? And in the process of purifying you, he can evaporate what needs to be gone, what's in the way, this process of being purified and and being yourself being emptied by the Holy Spirit to make room for him, to make room for Christ. This is not an easy process. This eye is hot and sometimes it burns us to be in this position And to take this posture, sometimes it hurts. Sometimes it stings. But we know that as we're being emptied, in our weakness, he's made strong. As we're being emptied, there's room for him to come and take his rightful place and completely fill us with his power and his presence. That's what it looks like to take this posture, to be purified, to be emptied, and to be empowered. Revelation 22, verse 17 says, The Spirit and the Bride say, Come. In heaven, the Spirit and the Bride say, Come. And the ones who hear, let the one who hears say, come. They're saying, come. And if you can hear it, say, come. And then look at this next part. Let the one who is thirsty, come. Let the one who is thirsty, let the one who desires, take the water of life without cost. The one who desires for it, the one who wishes for it, the one who is thirsty for it, take it without cost. You don't have to bring qualification at the door. You don't have to bring some money at the door. You don't have to bring yourself equipped and ready to receive. No, if you can hear it and you're thirsty, come, come, Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. That's a promise. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. If you hunger for righteousness, if you thirst for righteousness, come and be filled. He will fill you. He is willing He is ready, he is able to pour out the water of life without cost to the hungry and the thirsty for righteousness. That's the qualification, that's the prerequisite, that's the beginning. Do you hunger and thirst for righteousness? Are you willing to posture yourself in humility and position yourself on the fire of God to be purified and to be emptied you hunger and thirst for righteousness? There was a great English hymn writer named Charles Wesley. His brother, John Wesley, was also an incredible pastor and evangelist. And they were brothers that came up in England way back in the day, 1700s. And this this guy, Charles Wesley, wrote over 6,000 hymns. It's awesome. It's a lot of hymns. I didn't do the math. I should have thought about how long it took him to write if he wrote one a day for years. If anybody's good at math, maybe you can do that and talk to me after. It's a cool trivia thing that we will have just between the two of us. Charles Wesley (laughs) wrote 6,000 hymns and he came to faith because his godly mother gave him this book called The Life of God in the Soul of Man. (laughs) I love this, like just jumping straight in, like, hey son, why don't you read this one? The life of God in the soul of man. And one of, the, one of the hymns that Charles Wesley wrote was entitled, My Heart is Full of Christ. My heart is full of Christ. What a beautiful reality. My heart is full of of Christ, there's, there's no room for anything else. It's completely full of Him. I have come to a place where I've been emptied. I've been poured out before the Lord. He has evaporated all of the things that are in the way. Everything that's taking the place of Him that's in the way. And He has filled me up with Himself. My heart is full of Christ. I think this is the picture that Paul had in his mind when he wrote Philippians 2, this beautiful text about humility. Paul's writing to the Philippians and he says this in verse 3. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility... Count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. And here's how you can do that. Because that's hard, by the way. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit. Treat others Higher than yourself. Think think of others more significant than yourself. And this is how. This is how this is possible. Verse five. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. Emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. He went all the way there, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. This was his posture. This was his position when he's in the garden before he went to be hung on the cross. He's praying to God. If there's any way for this not to happen, if there's any way for this not to be as bad as I know it's about to be, would you take it from me? But nonetheless, even so, not my will, but yours be done. Because he was postured in humility and he was positioned before God, empty. And he went to the cross and he died the death that sinners deserved like you and me. He hung there until it was accomplished. He took on the entire just penalty. All of God's wrath was upon him. And by his wounds, that's how we are healed. Because when he went to the grave dead, he rose again victorious and all who trust in his name, all who confess with their mouth that he's Lord and believe in their heart that God raised him from the dead will be saved and will begin this relationship of becoming increasingly humble as Christ was humble. He emptied himself and then, therefore, God highly exalted him. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, but those who humble themselves will be exalted. God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue should confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is what I want you to hear. This is what I want you to see. Jesus lost nothing when he gave everything to God. Jesus lost nothing by choosing the path of humility. Jesus lost nothing by choosing to empty himself. Jesus lost nothing by dying a sinner's death, even though he didn't deserve it. And the same is true for you. You will lose nothing when you give everything to God. Where God is everything, self is nothing. And where self is nothing, all of God is yours if you're a Christian. This is the posture of humility. When we look at Isaiah, the prophet, This beautiful, breathtaking response in Isaiah chapter 6 when he is in the presence of the Lord. I want want to read, I'm just going to read this Isaiah 6, 1 through 9. Isaiah says, In the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord. I saw him sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted. With the train of his robe filling the temple, the glory of the Lord. And Seraphim stood above him, each having six wings, with two covering the face, with two covering the feet, and with two, fl- they flew. He flew. It's pretty cool. Six wings. Anybody wish they had six wings? No. No be weird. Okay. What if you could hide them? If you could hide them, would you do it? (laughs) Verse three, and one called out to another, the seraphim called out to another, these huge creatures, they're calling out to one another and they're saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And then look what happened. The foundations of the thresholds trembled at the voice of him who called out while the temple was filling with smoke. And then Isaiah said, woe is me for I am ruined because I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips for my eyes have seen the king. The Lord of hosts. So we don't know what his posture was before he saw the Lord in his glory. But we know that there was no lower posture for him to take after he had seen him than the one that he chose. There was no lower position. He was willing to come and be emptied. In fact, when he saw the Lord in all of his glory, he knew just how needy he was. He knew just how worthless all the stuff that filled him up were in the sight of he who is worthy of all honor and glory. When he's positioned In this way, in view of the king, his response is, woe is me. I am ruined. I'm a man of unclean lips. I need to be clean. And then, verse six, one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal in his hand, which he had taken from the altar with tongs. And he touched my mouth with it. And he said, behold This has touched your lips and your iniquity is taken away and your sin is forgiven. God provided this burning coal as he postured himself and he positioned himself there. God provided this burning coal and he touched his lips with it and instantly he was purified. Instantly, his sins were taken away. He was emptied of all the things that were once there that were that were causing corruption inside of him. They were gone because the the burning embers that were on the altar of God that he had kindled with his glory touched his lips and he was clean. He was clean. And then look what happened in the next verse. Once his sin has been forgiven and his iniquity had been taken away, verse eight, then I heard the voice of the Lord say, saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And, and then Isaiah said, here am I, Lord, send me. Here am I. Send me. And then the Lord said, Go. And he gave him his message. He gave him his assignment. And I just want to spend a second before we close thinking about this sequence and watching as Isaiah chose this posture and this position and he repented. Woe is me, I'm ruined, I'm unclean, I need, I need to be clean. And then God provided a way for him to be purified. By the righteousness of God. And once he was purified and God asked who would go, Isaiah said, Send me. You know, I wonder how many people are in the room today, have been in church for a long time, and you've been waiting until you're ready to be used by God. And you're sitting in the seat week after week and you're just waiting. Until you feel like you're ready to be used. And I wonder, just want to put this on the table. I just want to put this out there. I wonder if the enemy has deceived us so well to think in our well-intended thoughts that we just need to be more prepared before we step up and do what needs to be done in the kingdom of God. Maybe for a second, do you think that the enemy has deceived you with that, thinking that it's preparation when it's actually just you holding on to your pride, saying, I'm not ready to go because I don't think I'm gonna be able to do what needs to be done. And in this case, when we see Isaiah, there was no readiness other than being purified, being cleansed, and then being sent. And I wonder if we've mistaken preparation for the development of our pride. I'm not prepared yet. I'm not ready yet. I can't do that. Somebody else is better. When I get ready, when I get good enough, when I get clean enough, then I'll step into ministry. Then I'll step in to love my neighbor. Then I'll step in to send hurricane relief to our brothers and our sisters that are without power in Louisiana and struggling. Then I'll get in the game when I feel like I'm able to do that. Are you letting your pride hold you in the seat? He doesn't need you to be able. He needs you to be empty. And that takes a posture of humility and it takes an active positioning on the fire of God until he purifies it all out of you, until he removes everything that's been in the way. He will give you the message. He will give you the assignment. You don't even have to come up with the message. He's gonna give it to you. Paul said, pray for me that, I would, that words would be given to me and that I would have boldness to proclaim this gospel of old shall not kneel shall not faint it's proven time and time again to be powerful because Jesus did the work being made ready to step into this work looks more like emptiness than it does ability or giftings charisma. God gave Isaiah his assignment and his message after he humbled himself. The last thing I want to say is Isaiah 57 verse 15. For this is what the high and exalted one who lives forever, whose name is holy, says. Isaiah writes and he says, this is what the most high God says. He says, I dwell in a high and a holy place and also with the contrite and lowly of spirit. Please don't miss this reality. God Almighty, the holy, the righteous, the just, the perfect, the eternal, the, the one who is mighty to do it all, who created and sustains it all. He reigns in a high and holy place, set apart, untouchable, and he is with the contrite and the lowly. That might be the most beautiful end in the entire Bible. Don't quote me on that. That he reigns in the high and the holy and get this juxtaposition. And he, lay, he, he is with the lowly and the contrite, the broken, the humble, the ones who need to be filled. He is with them too. He didn't stop being holy. He didn't stop being high and lifted up. He also chose to condescend in the, in the person and the work of Jesus to be loved with the low and with the contrite so that he can fill you right where you are. Look at the last part of this verse. In order to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite, in order to bring revival, he reigns in the high and holy place and he is with the lowly and the contrite. If you need revival today, if you've come in need of this life, this water of life, the call is to come and the path is humility. Posture yourself low and position yourself to be emptied by the Holy Spirit of God so that he can fill you with everything that you need so that he can fill you with himself. There is one path. There's one path to revival. And it's the path that Jesus paved on the road to Calvary as he chose humility and obedience. We follow him there and we die in his grave. And we rise with him in victory forevermore. If that's never happened for you. If you've never trusted in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sin, do not leave today without making that a reality. The offer is on the table. If you hear these words and you can hear the invitation to come, then come and dine with the King forever. May we be a church that seeks revival by posturing ourselves low and positioning ourselves to be emptied.
0: Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you made a decision or if you have any questions about salvation or anything about this Christian journey, one of our pastors would love to connect with you. So to connect and find out what your next steps are, go to our website at chestnutmountain.org slash steps, and there will be a form for you to fill out so one of our pastors can connect with you. We also want you to do three things right now. Number one, leave a review on this podcast. Tell us what you think. And also, a review allows us to reach even more people. Number two, subscribe to this podcast if you haven't already so you don't miss an episode during the week. And number three, we want you to go check out our Chestnut Mountain Church YouTube channel. So maybe there's some visuals in this episode that you couldn't see but wanted to see. And that's why we have video versions of these episodes along with other content not featured on this podcast right now on our YouTube channel. Lastly, we invite you to join us live for worship on Sunday mornings in person at 9 o'clock or 1045 a.m. Eastern Standard Time or online at 1045 as well. Learn more about us on our website at chestnutmountain.org. And don't forget to follow us on social at chestnutmtn underscore for more encouragement and to see all what God is doing in and through CMC. We love you, we're praying for you, and we'll see you next time.